And then it goes back to this issue of education should start with what do you like to do? What are you good at? And then what are the career paths that are open to you? And that, I think that's a responsibility and obligation that changes the nature of education. It isn't about teaching you just the basic skills. It's getting you on a career path. Hello and welcome to Region Ahead, a podcast from SimCog, the Southeast Michigan Council of Governments. I'm Chris Williams. And I'm Trevor Layton. Today, we are having a conversation about the future of jobs in Southeast Michigan. Actually, it might be more accurate to say that we are going to learn about future workers of Southeast Michigan. Specifically, we are going to learn about what it's going to take to make sure our working population is prepared for some of the fastest growing career opportunities. Joining us to shed some light on this topic are Doug Smith, Executive Director of Government and Community Relations for Oakland Community College, also Nahid Hawk, Manager of Talent and Economic Development at Simcock. Nahid is also lead staffer for Future Skills, Preparing for the Changing World of Work, which is a new report from Simcog and the Metropolitan Affairs Coalition. Welcome, Doug and Nahid. Thank you. Thank you. Nahid, could you zoom us out a little bit and talk a little bit about sort of the environmental landscape of, of workforce? And are there any defining challenges that are affecting our ability to have a workforce that will serve the needs of, of our future in this region? So our Future Skills Task Force identified three underlying challenges. They're the things that are really impacting the future of the workforce, how we develop it, um, how we prepare people for the changing world of work. And these are technological advances, the demographic and social changes taking place, as well as business trends. And all of them have huge impact on how we train our future workforce, but also retrain our current workforce. So for example, in the area of technology, the speed of technology is racing ahead, and we need to make sure that our education systems and our workforce systems are able to prepare students with the latest technology. In terms of demographic and social changes, we're hearing that they are actually going to impact our future workforce as much as technology because the prime working age population that we're going to have in the region is falling as our region ages and we're having fewer children. So we need to make sure that everyone who is available to work is prepared and our talent development system needs to be able to work with people of all skills, of all ages, of all um, dispositions so that we can create a stronger workforce. And so those are all some things that the Future Skills Task Force that was behind the report that Chris mentioned earlier uh, grappled with in meetings over the last year. Can you tell us a little bit more about that Future Skills Task Force, who was involved and, and what exactly it is you were trying to accomplish? Say that the main goal was to look at what our talent development system, which is made up of education, employers, and workforce development, needs to do in order to create um, an infrastructure that prepares people for jobs of the future, whether it's through a framework for lifelong learning, whether it's through multiple career pathways, whether it's really addressing issues such as collaboration. How do we make all these important stakeholders work together in order to provide um, that workforce of the future? But also, we need to address the issue of um, labor force participation in this region. We have one of the lowest in the metro areas across the nation, but also certainly in the Midwest. Our labor force participation in many ways is lower than our competitors in Chicago or in um, Minneapolis. We need to be able to have a workforce that sort of addresses the needs of individuals so that we can get them into the workforce. In particular, when we talk about um, providing support services to veterans, to returning citizens, to people who haven't been able to 
take advantage of a good education, trying to get people back into the workforce because um, maybe they took time out to look after family members or children. We have opportunities to increase our workforce. And if we don't, we're going to fall behind because SEMCOG's projections show that we're going to have more jobs than people. And we need to make sure that we can increase the number of people in the workforce. I think Nahid touched on the two, what I consider to be most important points of the Skills Task Force uh, report. I mean, one is certainly that it isn't just about skilling it up. It's the fact that the pipeline's not there and that it's a trifecta. It is the fact that we have immigration shutdown. We have high school enrollments in Oakland County, as an example, we've declined for 2% for almost a decade or a little over a decade, and the projection is another 2% decline, which is our basic input, if you will, um, in terms of the community college. So you've got those declining. The hidden one is that if you look at the last five recessions that will go over 20 years, um, we end up with looking at... um, when we hit full employment, which we've done several months ago, maybe even years ago, um, you've been able to bring the disengaged workforce back in. But the difference between this recession and other recessions in the last 20 years is that the average time of unemployment was 15 to 20 weeks. Today, the average time of unemployment is 40 weeks plus. And all the academic research says, if you've been out of the workforce for 40 weeks, then you basically um, have found an alternative lifestyle. And so bringing you back in is a much more difficult task. So I think that's part of the issue. And then the other issue is Nahid identified and the task force did, which is to reach out to populations we have not effectively dealt with. Um, and that is the returning citizens, um, disabled and veterans. Those are three big populations that we can make a difference. But if we're going to successfully have skills for the future, not only do we need to skill up the existing workforce and the people that are coming through the education systems, but we need to reach out in ways we haven't reached out before. And then in terms of the report itself and the three or four recommendations, I think the most important one, they were all very important, is collaboration. The relationship between educational institutions and all of the other parties we engage with has got to change. And I can use an example of our our companies. Um, In the past, we were happy when a company gave us equipment that was 18 months old and they were changing it out. Today, I'll use Herco as an example, they came in and replaced all of our CNC equipment. And it was with state-of-the-art equipment, some that companies didn't even have. And we're now their showroom. They bring their customers and suppliers in. They want people trained who are trained on, the, on, the, on today's equipment, not yesterday's equipment. And the biggest change is probably this. If I had gone to FANUC or FCA five years ago or even three years ago and talked about doing some basic business industry training for them, they would say, here's the curriculum, train my people, and, um, and then I want the curriculum back. Today it is, here's the curriculum, we'll train your trainers, we'll train your faculty, whoever wants to do the training, and if you train people you know, with some of our competitors, it's okay. We've got to scale this up because we can't train enough people. The skilled trades gap, as we've, you know, as has been exposed, is in the hundreds of thousands and even maybe millions over the next five to ten years in terms of particularly the skilled trades. Doug, a lot of people enroll at institutions like Oakland Community College to develop the knowledge and skills they need to begin or advance in their careers. So how are workforce needs and the needs of students along with them changing? Well, I think one major issue is always going to be that the future of work is going to include many jobs and many um, employment opportunities for people, more so than in the past. You won't see people joining one company um, for long periods of time, 30 or 40 years. And you probably will see more and more people 
also engaged in um, what we would in the past have called kind of independent business. That is, I'm a consultant and, you know, I work for three or four companies rather than one company. So I think that's an underlying issue of, of what goes on. What's curious to me is with all the technology and all the changes that have occurred, um, the three basic needs of employers haven't changed in terms of their employee base, and it's whether it's existing workers or it is new workers that they're hiring, and it's that they have to have good communication skills, and now we have more ways than ever to communicate because we've got the iPhone and, and how ubiquitous that is. Um, so communication skills is number one. Number two is teamwork. Can I work in a team? And it doesn't mean you have to lead the team, but can I work in a team? And then third is just personal responsibility, that I take responsibility for my actions. With all the technical skills that are needed, you still need those three basic skills that most employers will tell you. If you give me somebody with those three skills, I can get them the technical training they would need. The other element that starts um, getting people interested in making sure that they've got some electronics or IT background is coding skills that's being done in the elementary schools. And I think those are the changes that you're seeing as just a starting point for the, the training as well as the, the employment opportunities and what's going to be needed as a skill set. Well, I think the advent of technology and the speed of technological change is changing what we learn, how we learn, and how we use the technology. So that's very important to start, as Doug said, early on in children's um, education. And we have lots of examples of how schools are adapting to technology, being able to use different forms of technology from an early age, whether it's through robotics, uh, first robotics, or um, Square One, all those programs that help expose children to technology in a fun way that enables also them to learn about those soft skills too. Doug mentioned good communications, teamwork, personal responsibility, working in teams through projects such as First Robotics or Square One actually is a huge um, advantage for when they get to the workforce. One other element that you can see this change occurring is in resumes. In resumes before it's where I graduated from and who I worked for and kind of my job title. And I'm, I'm oversimplifying it a bit, but today it's really competencies. What are the competencies that I have that you as an employer need? And I think that's really the change in the workforce today and the change in the employment market is that I'm concerned about not where you went to school, but what are your competencies. And I think it's also calls for a tremendous change in education so that it isn't just the degree, um, but it's a level of competencies. And oftentimes I think competencies and competency-based education is directed mostly at STEM. But in fact, competency-based education needs to be throughout the entire curriculum. You know, whether it's a high school student or it's a four-year college student or a doctorate, the question is, you know, what can you do? And, you know, have you displayed that you have done it effectively? You mentioned collaboration as one of the recommendations from the Future Skills Report. Um, another recommendation was to promote a framework for lifelong learning. Um, what does that term mean to you and why is it so important? So when I see lifelong learning, what it raises in me is the importance of steering education back to a highway that has a lot more on and off ramps that I get on because I need the competency. Employers don't come to me and say I need somebody in two years or four years. They need somebody now. I don't have an employee coming to me saying I need work in two years. <laughs> I need it in six weeks or eight weeks. So I need some training to get there. So we have to work more closely. We have to work more closely with the unions and with companies. Um, what I've said oftentimes is that if we as a community college don't become part of the retention programs of companies, 
we won't be in business 10 years from now. We defined lifelong learning as formal or informal education, training and experiences that improve personal growth and career opportunities. It's important to realize, as Doug said, that you're, you're never done. There's always opportunities to learn. And as the economy changes, as technology changes, we have to be ready to provide flexible and convenient and cost-efficient ways to, to provide that training. And that's both through the community college systems, post-secondary education, but also I think employers have a really important role. I think one of the reasons we have this sort of focus on two- and four-year college degrees is that employers have required them in the past. I think they're becoming more open and flexible about their hiring practices. Nahid, something I've heard you say in the past is that the average person who's entering the workforce today, say they're they're just out of high school or maybe just out of college, uh, they're no longer starting you know, their one long career. They're just beginning the first of what could be several careers. How is it that a regional talent development system can support this fluidity? Well, I think a lifelong learning is probably one of those ways. And being able to access training that helps you move forward. The other thing, though, with um, sort of millennials, for example, who are right now the largest population in the workforce, they don't stay in jobs for very long. I think this recent um, study showed that a millennial will probably have four careers in the first 10 years um, once they start working, and compared to, say, two for Generation X and even fewer for um, baby boomers. So we, we need to be able to adapt our education and talent systems for their needs as well. A lot of millennials particularly talk about life-work life balance. They don't want to stay in the same company. They have particular desires. There's a lot of studies about what makes them tick, what they're looking for, and life-work balance is one of them, but also they need to be valued. They need to be able to um, work in organizations where they feel they have a aligned um, value system. So I think the workforce and the work employers are gonna be changing as well in order to keep you know, the future workforce. So, Doug, is there anything else you'd like to say about um, multiple you know, career pathways? You spoke before about on-ramps and off-ramps and, and what uh, OCC is, is doing uh, you know, to contribute to this goal uh, of enabling you know, workers to be able to, to transition more smoothly. Well, I think uh, not only transitioning more smoothly, but recognizing the, the broad spectrum of jobs that are available. And I think we need to start in the elementary and middle schools, and we're doing that. We're working with high schools. Um, closer and better than ever before. We need to make sure that you know parents and students uh, and teachers are educated and the, the, stu- the teachers are trained to be able to give the students the ability to say, what do you like to do? That's, that's a non-judgmental question. Um, and then what are your skill sets? And if the two match, great. That sets up career paths. We have a program here called My Bright Future, which was has been uh, funded and, and operated by... Um, by WIN, the Workforce Intelligence Network. And um, I think My Bright Future is one of many career path programs that is really critical because it has to start you know, early, late elementary, middle school, giving people an understanding that, uh, that careers, that the only success is not a two-year or four-year degree. A success is a productive life, which has in it some form of training and education and work. And that's why I say, you know, I don't say lightly, employment is a legitimate outcome of education, but too often we don't feel that. We feel that education, you do this so you can get further education and further education. But that's not how most people think, and that's not how most people come to us. But I think the career paths, I think education ought to be the support system 
for a career. And that, that means getting systems that are easy to come into, whether you're a veteran, so we have to be able to do a better job at being able to give experience, get credit for experience so that you can come back and, and if you've you know, managed 2,000 people on, the, on a battlefield that you don't come back and are, are asked to do organizational theory 101. Um, and so I think we have to do better at that, at dealing with those populations that we've talked about before, um, if we're going to make lifelong learning and the career development successful. Um, it really needs to, education should start with a discussion about careers. Doug and Nahid, uh, we know you have to go soon. This has been a really excellent conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to add about developing the talent that will be so crucial for the future success of Southeast Michigan? Well, if I can do a shout out, I, I, I truly believe that two of the activities that are helping us are first robotics. Um, we're the lead state in the country for first robotics. Uh, we have over 500 teams. Thousands of youth uh, participate. It's a tremendous curriculum of students that sometimes aren't succeeding in athletics or academics and, and come over, but it's some who are very bright academic and good athletes too. It's a whole cross-section, but it starts with mechanical or technical capability and building on that. And if you've been, we've had the global championships here two years. We've got it for at least one more year, and we hope we'll keep it here for a number of years. But that whole issue of that STEM education, that curriculum of people learn best by doing and the teamwork that they learn, um, you know, watching the, the competition, one of the things that just warms the cockles of my heart is that, you know, somebody breaks down in the championship round and all the teams around them come over and help them out and then go back to competing. You know, you don't see that in other sports. I mean, Michael Jordan goes down and the other team takes advantage of that. And so, I mean, the, the, the curriculum that teaches teamwork, teaches responsibility, we have a curriculum, and, and that is that. And somehow we need to make that more of the mainstream STEM curriculum here in the state. And the other thing is, and there's many things like this, like My Career Quest, where you have the companies come together and expose young people and parents to actually demonstrations. So, what's being a bricklayer really like? Um, you know, last time we were at My Career Quest, I, the two things I'll f not forget is a young girl was doing bricklaying. She said, You know, this is fun. And she would never have thought of that. And then, you know, I had another young man who, who was looking at the at DTE and had to climb a ladder. And he said, you know, I wanted to work as, you know, he was thinking as an electrician, but he said, I want to work for DTE. Oh, I got to climb a ladder. I really don't like heights. <laughs> Better to learn that early on. But then it goes back to this issue of education should start with what do you like to do, what are you good at, and then what are the career paths that are open to you? And that, I think that's a responsibility and obligation that changes the nature of education. It isn't about teaching you just the basic skills. It's getting you on a career path. And probably my final comment would be that our report includes more than 60 case studies of really excellent programs that are helping to create the future workforce and also um, retooling the current workforce for changing needs. And we have some great programs, including career technical education, early middle colleges, career academies with the Ford um, Next Generation Learning. We have the um, Flip the Script program at Goodwill. These are all programs that are being innovative, who are helping populations to get back into the workforce or prepare for the future workforce. Our, one of our challenges, though, is scaling these projects. In many cases, they're great, they're working well, but we don't have the infrastructure to make them sort of spread them across the region and maybe the state so that more people can benefit from them. But we do have some excellent programs here, and I think we, we need to build on that. Also, our 
you know, our talent development system has many assets. We've got some great schools. We've got great post-secondary institutions. We've got collaboration with employers. But we need to work more quickly. Things are changing, and we need to make sure that our education system, our talent development system, reflects the needs of the economy as well as individuals so that we can make sure that employers have the workforce they need and we can make sure that the workforce is able to live a sustainable and successful life as well as um, have a great career. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Um, Like Trevor said, this has been an excellent conversation. So, Doug and Nahid, thank you for joining us on Region Ahead. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This has been SEMCOG's Region Ahead. Thank you for joining us as we consider the important issues that affect Southeast Michigan. You can learn more about the work SEMCOG is doing to improve Southeast Michigan's economy at SEMCOG.org. Thanks again to Doug Smith and Nahid Huck for joining us today.